Hello, this is Haley, and you're listening to Street Talk with the Doc, a podcast on addiction, mental health, and treatment. We all know that addiction is dangerous and oftentimes deadly, but there's one class of drugs that has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans and has become a major topic of conversation. Today, we're going to be talking about the opioid epidemic, and to help me break that down, I'm joined by our medical director, Dr. Bott, and our content director, Jeff. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Haley. How are you guys? I'm doing well. It's a good day today. I'm doing well, too. So I want to jump right into it. I think some people know a lot about the opioid epidemic, but others may not really know the backstory. Dr. Bott, can you give a little background on the epidemic? You know, how and when did it start? That probably entails so much more than I'm probably going to be able to describe in the few moments that we have here today. But, uh, you know, the epidemic has been around in, in probably in waves over the last few decades. And it's signified by the amount of deaths we are seeing in our country and around the world due to people using opiates. And um, I think we saw this back in the, the 90s uh, with an increased amount of prescribing that occurred amongst medical professionals. And, you know, there's a confluence of influences of why this all happened. It had to do with recognizing pain more amongst people who were diagnosed with um, medical illnesses that had pain as a consequence, as well as overzealous marketing done by pharmaceutical companies. And, you know, us as physicians and clinicians having to first start out treating people who suffered with pain and then probably not being educated as 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 doctors on what direction you know prescribing somebody with opioids could go in terms of the physical dependency and subsequent consequences and that probably was due to a lot of misleading uh, marketing and studies that were probably embellished or magnified that did not tr- show the true consequence of what could happen with long-term opiate abuse. And it resulted in people diverting from prescription drugs to illicit substances when the prescription drugs were yet regulated. And as a consequence, we often saw people who were physically dependent and then ultimately using drugs of a, that were non-prescribed and, and having negative effects and overdosing and dying. And um, it's blown out of proportion since then. I know there's a lot of layers to why the opioid epidemic happened in the first place, but did people really not understand like how addictive these drugs were? I think medically, there's there was knowledge that people can become physically dependent on it. But if I can be more specific, so you know, back in the '80s, and um, you know, there was a, there was a lot of recognition and push by even the World Health Organization, that pain was being under-recognized. And they were making us, as, as doctors and healthcare you know, practitioners, recognize that, look, there are people who are suffering with cancer and other chronic pain conditions that need to be treated. And so there was this you know, push to make sure that we weren't under treating individuals, that people weren't getting neglected, that people weren't suffering. 
And I think in that attempt, doc, physicians and doctors went with it. But then, as I mentioned earlier, you know, manufacturers of, you know, analgesic opioid medications, they picked and choose, I believe, what knowledge was going to be presented to physicians in terms of the drugs that they were giving. So that combination of, you know, the need to treat, I believe an undereducated medical population and then an overzealous marketing campaign coming together led to, you know, people getting prescribed it and ultimately becoming physically dependent on it in a way that probably should have been recognized, but wasn't. Can you kind of explain like how do opioids work? You know, how do they treat pain? Opioids bind to a certain receptor in the body that basically creates a sense of analgesia. It blocks pain by binding to these, you know, neuroreceptor sites. And they they have a tremendous benefit. I mean, they're there, they're indicated, and they have utility for multiple conditions. And so when, you know, we are treated with pain medications for legitimate reasons, it, it allows us to not suffer. And imagine getting into an accident and fracturing bones and having operations as a consequence and not having, you know, the ability to control your pain. So it works by basically binding to these pain receptors, blocking them so we don't feel um, that that level of pain that you wouldn't be able to tolerate. So that's in essence, the way that it works, binds to receptors that block the sensation of pain to the brain. So I want to kind of talk about, you know, what makes them so addictive, you know, when somebody, I guess, gets that dependence on these drugs, and then they stop taking it, you know, what kind of like effects do they feel? So what's unique about opiates in general is that, I mean, I, and I'm going to clarify the terms, like we use the word opiates and opioids. Opioids tend to reflect synthetic man-made products and opiates tend to be more natural things that come directly from the, the poppy plant where, um, you know, opiates are produced. But uh, opioids in general, let's just use it, that word, is basically when we take them, for any reasonable amount of time, they have a certain unique property that due to the mechanism of action and the physical nature, what we call the pharmacodynamic nature of the, the drug and the way our body responds, which is the pharmacokinetic response of how it handles the drug, they develop a physical dependency in as little as two weeks and probably 50% of the population even at therapeutic dosages. So what I mean by this is that inevitably, if you take opiates, even as prescribed for even a short amount of time, somebody will become physically dependent on this. And that's because the neuroreceptors change so quickly and adaptation occurs and tolerance occurs. And when you become dependent on something, even if you're not abusing it, when you take that product away, you're going to have withdrawal signs and symptoms. And with uh, opiates, it's very, very uncomfortable to withdraw from this. 
And, you know, when people are using it and they do not recognize or weren't educated or might not be aware that they can become physically dependent simultaneously because there is a not just analgesia, people can get euphoric, can feel happy. There's, an, there's a release of endorphins that occurs when people take them. So you're feeling good, which can have a positive uh, reinforcement effect of it while taking it, take away your pain and also feeling a sensation of happiness or euphoria. But when you stop taking it, you feel this considerable withdrawal effect after you become dependent where you could have body aches, chills, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. And so this combination um, makes it more addictive as a whole. So correct me if I'm wrong, but opioids are involved in the majority of drug overdoses, right? Yeah, what we're seeing now, I mean, there's a pre-pandemic and post-pandemic situation where we have seen some additional increase of other drugs, uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, uh, combination with benzodiazepines too. But yes, most recently in the last 10, 15 years, it has been opioids that we have seen that is the main drug causing these overdoses. Can you kind of explain what causes someone to overdose? It depends really on your situation, but often we saw it early on where people who were prescribed opiates legitimately for a medical condition who became physically dependent on these agents. And after there were certain, you know, regulations and put in place because opiates are not really indicated for chronic long-term pain um, that's, you know, non-cancerous in origin or not secondary to, you know, a, a real significant spinal cord or, or back issue where the pain is so chronic and so severe in nature um, that you, like I mentioned before, you become physically dependent. And after this was recognized that people were, um, becoming dependent, there was more regulation imposed. After that regulation imposed, people couldn't get those medications. Often they ended up, um, due to the dependency, going out on the street and having to seek out illegitimate, you know, um, opiate medications. And often this created a, uh, a deficiency state. So once somebody became dependent and then didn't have it, their tolerance goes back down, they enter withdrawal, and then after periods where they are not, the tolerance goes down, then they go back to using it again. Um, unfortunately, because of the, um, the, the neuroadaptation that takes place, the, the body's not used to it. And then they go back to try and taking the dose that they were accustomed to. And unfortunately, due to the depressive nature of the opioids, it caused um, the brain to be flooded with these uh, opioid drugs causing respiratory depression, coma, even death. The fact that many of people who you know are affected by the opioid epidemic were introduced through a medical prescription or something like that has other effects too. Because traditionally, you know, opioids that people experimented with recreationally would be something like heroin, which would be something that, for the most part, only like people who are really I almost want to say committed to like a drug using life would do because, you know, most people would not just experimentally try heroin just for the sake of trying it. 
with with opioids, that is not necessarily the case, and many people skip. Many people who would not otherwise have experimented with heavy drugs were exposed to like very highly addictive substances. Yeah, Jeff. You know what you're describing is is kind of the bigger conceptualization of this whole thing. We saw people being prescribed it, it becoming physically dependent, regulations being put in place that did not allow them to get it through their prescriber. And people, again, physicians prescribing it for situations that didn't need to be, um, you know, where people didn't need to be placed on it long term. And then due to pressure from those regulations, the doctors cut back. And what did that leave? It left people dependent on these opiates and desperate. So they went out and they did not necessarily only want to use heroin, as you mentioned, or they often would use pills. And most of the sequence was going from prescribed opiates to then pills from the street. And then when pills from the street got too expensive, they went to heroin, which was cheaper after the fact. And unfortunately, due to how heroin is mixed and other things that it's cut with, you know, their bodies did not know how they were going to react. And yeah, unfortunately, overdose was a consequence for all of this stuff. And it is very sad. Yeah. And you mentioned heroin. I also kind of wanted to talk about fentanyl a little bit because I know that that has been a contributing factor in the opioid epidemic. You know, why is that such a dangerous drug? Fentanyl is a synthetic product. It's it's a man-made product. And it is just so much more potent than all of these other things out there. So imagine the scenario that we've talked about just a few moments ago, people who are dependent on XYZ class of, you know, opiate, a certain specific type. And then they go out and their body doesn't know how to adapt or adjust to it. And they're going to go and take a product that might be cut with fentanyl. And fentanyl is 80, 90, 100 times more potent than this. And taking a, a, a heroin, for heroin, for example, that could be cut with fentanyl, they don't know what it's going to do to their body. And unfortunately, because of its potency, people are getting, people are overdosing because um, it's just that, that dangerous that trace amounts of it can kill somebody who might not even be, who might be naive or have never taken opiates before. It's just it's that dangerous of a, of a product. Before we move on from the topic of overdosing, I wanted to talk about what should somebody do in the event that someone is overdosing on opioids? Unfortunately, often people are alone when they're using. And if they're alone, there is no way to get help. If somebody is, um, and that's why we have so many deaths, if somebody is, is with somebody who is overdosed, calling 911 is, is where you need to go. I mean... These people can go straight from, again, overdosing, they become drowsy, lethargic, and um, then all of a sudden their body's respiratory system shuts down, oxygen to the brain is diminished, and then ultimately these people will die. So, um, you know, activating emergency uh, services is, is really the, the way to go. Obviously, some we've, many people have heard of Narcan or Naloxone, which is a medication that is out there that can help reverse an overdose. If somebody has access to that and knows how to use it, that can be used as an intervention. Uh, now it is, um, we've seen it through public health programs and physicians prescribing it. You know, people who unfortunately 
aren't stable and are suffering with addiction to opiates. They're even being prescribed rescue mechanisms and having this uh, naloxone on hand in the event they, they do overdose. So you talked about you know that awareness earlier with doctors trying not to prescribe as many opioids in response. What kind of reform has been made due to the opioid epidemic? So when this was recognized and, you know, again, not going back into all the confluence of causes that came together and caused this vicious storm, once it was recognized that opiates were being prescribed overzealously and they were creating a physical dependency in individuals, a lot of you know, regulations came down to just limit the prescribing amount. So they started developing systems of risk mitigation systems, often the pharmaceutical companies that got identified and the CDC, um, different agencies, they started providing recommendations on who to prescribe it for, on what conditions you should prescribe it for, and for what duration you prescribe it for. You know, opioids really should be indicated for a, acute pain for short term, the lowest dose for the shortest duration. And that's really how we should try and control this. And it should be done with a practitioner who is knowledgeable of the patient and keeps track of this. And in addition to these, you know, control of how much we prescribe, there were, you know, data banks that were developed, you know, with prescription monitoring and managing programs that other physicians can see what other doctors have prescribed on their patients. So there's a way to track the prescribing and uh, dispensing of these things. So basically, you know, the, the limitations on who, how much, what for were introduced to, and, 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 and guidance on how to go from, you know, short acting to long acting opiates and encouragement to use uh, non-narcotic, non-opioid based pain medications on individuals. And those things have helped in terms of reforming um, what we see what was going on previously. And in your opinion, are there things that you think still need to change? You know, if so, what are they? A lot of education on addiction training, I think still uh, it's not as robust as it could be. Obviously, you know, with opioid epidemic and other, you know, addiction issues becoming more publicized, that um, I think medical doctors need to be more trained in, um, in identifying addiction, prescribing certain controlled substances, and this needs to be regulated by the licensing authorities. And it's happening. You know, there's, there's, there's more uh, medical ed- continued medical ag- uh, education uh, requirements for physicians being licensed in certain in states. And I'd like to just see it happen more in the in the medical school side, in terms of um, you know this becoming a very very important top topic that you know physicians master. So I'd like to see that continue to improve on. Not that it's not being done, just continue to evolve. We have to continue to uh, meet those standards, as well as continuing to um, ensure that uh, these prescription monitoring programs and um, these limits and these regulations and are, are being adhered to by the physicians and f- figuring out ways that systems can be introduced 
to make sure that those are, are, are being used. You mentioned a little bit about who opioids are appropriate for. Should there be something like you know, screening questions before a patient is prescribed opioids? There are. There, there, there are many, you know, especially in like doctors who are prescribing this. Um, you, you have seen this evolution in many places where they do ask um, additional questions uh, basically about the underlying medical condition and also risk factors for other addictive symptoms. So, you know, they want to identify people who might be at an increased risk for developing uh, a substance use disorder. And these things are happening and these things are done um, on various patients. And uh, it's, it's important. That's one of the best things um, that is, is happening out there. For those who would be considered you know, high risk, are there other options to replace opioids? And again, when we, when we talk about, you got to divide it into two classes of individuals. There, you know, there are people who are probably at risk, but have legitimate situations. Again, if I have a surgery or I, if I'm in an accident, I don't think there are many medications that are out there that might be able to control my pain. And at that time, you know, we would have to use uh, opioid medications to help control the pain. We don't want anybody to suffer. But at the same time, you know, as long as those things are controlled and limited to time and situation. And, you know, for those people that are at risk using non-narcotic analgesics, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. People know them. I know people might hear this and say, wow, that doesn't control my pain. But often, you know, that's the addicted mind that's speaking. There is, a, there is also a, a, a situation, a syndrome where people develop this hyperalgesia or sense of heightened pain, you know, sensation after being exposed to long-term analgesic medications, you know, medications that control pain. So it's important to, to really look at the origin of the pain. So many people come to a physician and they'll be like, I have this. And they want the doctor to give them something uh, without actually having the doctor do a proper workup. So if somebody's pain might be coming from an inflammatory condition, use an anti-inflammatory product. If somebody's pain is coming from a muscle disorder or a muscle spasm or a muscle tension, you, you use an anti-spasmodic agent or muscle relaxant. And if somebody is having, you know, pain from a, a nerve condition, well, they're neuropathic agents. All of these agents that I just described are not narcotic, not opioid-based medications. And these are where we need to open the repertoire of, uh, you know, treatment options. What are some of the signs briefly that someone is addicted to their prescription? A lot of times people will, I know this sounds like a cavalier for doctor shopping. You know, we do see that people will go to one physician and they will bounce around to other doctors. And that, that often is a sign. Then people going through their prescription medications quicker than um, they should. You know, if you're given a month supply of medication, of any medication, not just opioids, but, and they're finishing it quicker, this is a red flag. What are they doing? Why are they, you know, are they selling it? Are they using it? Um, you know, what's going on? 
So the, it's, it, the burden falls not just on the patient, but on the, the prescriber to make sure that this is being, you know, monitored as well as the pharmacy that's dispensing this. So th there's, there's multiple levels where checks and balances can occur. Also, you know, people appearing intoxicated and, you know, when being that opiates are, are, are significant depressant, you know, and also cause euphoria. If you see these, you know, behavioral changes where somebody is acting out of character you know, or nodding off or falling out, as we say it, when prior to overdosing, they're just like, you know, looking like they've passed out. Um, obviously, these are pretty apparent things that somebody has taken something or could have taken something or something medically is wrong with them. So um, I think those are big ones, you know, using a lot, um, doctor shopping, behavioral changes that are common with other substance use disorders, craving, and um, obviously withdrawal signs and symptoms. You know, withdrawal signs and symptoms might be after the fact, but they happen. You know, they happen as a consequence of becoming physically dependent. So these are all things to look out for. And what should someone do? if they kind of realize that they are addicted to their prescription? I want to separate physical dependency from addiction. As, as mentioned before, the nature, the character of an opioid product is one that can render you physically dependent even at therapeutic dosages. So people who've been taking long-term, you know, opiate medications and they find themselves in an attempt to stop or cut down having withdrawal symptoms, and they're not abusing it, they need to speak with their doctor. They need to speak with them about how they can safely taper off and titrate down. Um, and, you know, this should have been done up front. You know, patients need to be given education. They need to be, you know, told and, and provided literature. Uh, they need to even potentially sign agreements on, on what and how long they should be using these for and uh, hopefully avoid the physical dependency in, in, in the first place. But those who are now abusing it in an addictive manner, they aren't suffering from any pain condition or their pain condition was treated and now resolved and now have gone beyond dependency and are using it to have an altered sensation to get high. Well, these people need to obviously get help. Um, when you're addicted, often you're not in the right sense of you know, right state of mind. Often you're not seeking out treatment, but obviously we're here to encourage people who have a substance use disorder to seek treatment because um, it is deadly. And opioids are a very deadly agent when they're used in the manner that we're speaking about. So getting help, seeking treatment, asking for help, is, is and hopefully if there's family members listening, recognizing these, these symptoms and keeping track of... Um, people who are at risk. Perfect. Um, thank you, Dr. Bott. And, you know, I also wanted to say that too, if you or someone you know is abusing opioids, it's important to intervene and reach out for help because so many deaths are preventable. Addictioncenter.com has some great resources and our other episodes are also on there as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also write in a question to Dr. Bott on Addiction Center and check out some of the blogs he's written. Thank you to everyone who listened, and we hope to have you next time for another episode of Straight Talk with the Doc.